you already know there's a Beacon Hills Leather Club subscription package. What the f Grandpa? I feel like it's a little rude to go ahead and jump on the Let's Be a Dick Dare train. But it's the world's longest train. It's like the Snowpiercer. <laughs> you guys have dirty minds. <laughs> <laughs> we require like in Punnett Squares, Jeff Davis. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by... Will Wallace. And Calissa Mullis. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season two, episode 10, Fury. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, alpha and beta. The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. This episode is titled Fury. It was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Tim Andrew. In this episode, Scott and Styles convince Stolinski to go with them to the sheriff's station to search for evidence against Matt, the cannabis current master. Melissa joins them as a witness, and at Deaton's prompting, a still weak Derek joins them too. All their plans are derailed when the Canama massacres the staff of the sheriff's station, and Matt holds the group hostage to get the Argent's bestiary. Now the leader of her hunter group, and despite Chris's misgivings, Allison attacks the station in hopes of killing Derek to avenge her mother. Scott reveals he had made a deal with Gerard to protect himself and Melissa. Finally, Gerard's plan comes to fruition as he comes face to face with a newly masterless Kanama. Our favorite quote of the week goes to Matt when he's talking to Derek and Styles when they're laying paralyzed next to each other on the floor. And Matt says, oh, I don't know, Derek. I think you two make a pretty good pair. So Matt is officially a Derek shipper. Mm-hmm. He is possibly the biggest steric shipper of the show. Very true. We have several honorable mentions as well. The first being an exchange between Stalinsky and Styles. When Stalinsky says, all I can see is the back of someone's head. Styles says, Matt's head. Yeah, I sit behind him in history. He's got a very distinct cranium. It's weird. <laughs> Next is an exchange between Matt and Styles. When Matt says, werewolves, hunters, cannibals. It's like a freaking Halloween party every full moon. Except for you, Styles. What do you turn into? And Styles responds, abominable snowman, but uh, it's more like a wintertime thing, you know, seasonal. I love that. It is Delightful. quite good. Quite good. And the last exchange is between Derek and Styles. Styles is in all of them because Styles is amazing. Yes. Uh-huh. So this is when Matt is talking to Derek and Styles who are laying helplessly paralyzed on the floor. And Derek says, still got some teeth. Why don't you get down here a little closer, huh? We'll see how helpless I am. To which Styles adds, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> oh my god, I love it so much, it's guys. So it's also, so I feel like we should uh, clarify. You said they were paralyzed on the floor next to each other, but at this point in the story, they were in fact 
on on each top other. of each other yeah because yeah. styles's voice is actually a bit muffled it's yeah, you're right it's more like this older. it's it's more like you yeah, bitch something yeah. like that where his face exactly. is pressed against yeah, Derek's smooth yet hard pectoral muscles <laughs> so <laughs> so this episode begins in a flashback where we see a scene from season two episode two shapeshifted where matt loans jackson his camera it's unusual for an episode to start with a flashback first thing yeah but it's got a very clear flashback filter happening here how else are you gonna know it's a flashback got that visual cue in the scene, Matt wondered what exactly Jackson was going to record himself doing that night, and Jackson was somewhat offended that Matt thought he would do something as unbelievably ordinary as make a sex tape. Uh, what do you take me for, Matt? Yeah, ordinary. Unlike in Shape Shifted, the scene continues after Jackson and Matt finish their conversation. While Jackson goes inside, Matt gets into his car and takes out his phone. Was his phone background a quill pen? Uh, he totally seems like the type. And then like, you know, if not for the events of the show, like if he had survived and not become part of a supernatural thing and all of that, I feel like he'd been the guy who shows up to like Starbucks with like his computer and like takes a corner table after ordering like one small coffee. It's like, I'm working on the next great American novel. Mm-hmm. Have you read Ready Kerouac? Oh my God, 100%. In his car, Matt pulls up an app on his phone that connects to the camera stream. Pervy little bastard. Oh, come on. Like, you wouldn't be a little bit interested to know after Jackson's like, I won't do anything as mundane as make a sex tape. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, maybe. But even after Matt pulls up the feed, sees Jackson in bed and says aloud, oh, I knew he was lying. He still doesn't close the feed. Yeah. Like, how many hours are you going to sit there, Matt? Yeah. Two seconds would be the max for you to be like, okay, liar. Past that, you're definitely just, you know, watching, trying to see Jackson naked. Yeah, you're just watching his sex tape at that point. Yeah. Except that's when Matt sees Jackson transform into the Canima. Dino is really bringing the score for this teaser, and I'm here for it. Oh yeah, it's so good. I also really like how Jackson's transformation looks. I, I know we've seen it before, but I, I love it. It's very contortion-y. I think it's one of the few transformations on the show that looks painful. That like he is changing and it's just happening, you know, and it's like muscles and bones re- reorganizing themselves and all that. Cause like we don't really get that with the with the wolves and they just kind of and that's it so yeah okay we saw like before that that took a while for the transformation to actually happen so yeah that bitch was sitting out there for like definitely several hours multiple hours yeah because they actually there there's a moment where he starts to fall asleep which means he was sitting there long enough to fall asleep, woke himself up and thought, no, I'm going to keep waiting for the sex to start. Doesn't he have somewhere to be like outside Allison's bedroom? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ugh, what a pervert. Fully transformed Kanama then comes out to Matt's car and greets him. I love how Matt has the single tear running down his face like, it's so beautiful. And I love that too. <laughs> and also, and then they've like put their hands together. Friends. I feel like for this moment, I just need that gift from stepbrothers. Did we just become best friends? I think we did. (laughs) In that moment, Matt has a vision of the Kanima killing Isaac's dad, Mr. Leahy. You can tell that this slow-mo is done in post. It just doesn't look like Team Wolf's normal, gorgeous slow-mo. Yep, got to get it in camera, folks. Scott and Stiles tried to convince Stolinski to help them search for evidence proving that Matt, not Harris, was responsible for the murders. At first, Stolinski is unsure. He asked Stiles 
what Matt's motive is. Style says, isn't it obvious? Our swim team sucks. Okay, I love how right after Style says, isn't it obvious? There's a little musical sting as if maybe there's a reveal coming and then it's just Styles making shit up. Yeah, it's great. It's really, really fun. Also, that's just, I feel like a stab towards Jackson since Jackson is like, you know, captain of the swim team. Yeah. Oh my God, I forgot about that. I forgot about that too. Not everyone has those hydrodynamic cheekbones. Yeah. I wish that had been used. I mean, it, it was it was used to like explain that the fear of the water was specific to the Kanama and not to Jackson, but they could have used it more, I feel like, in terms of the Kanama's relationship with the master. Like may, maybe the, the reason that the Kanama linked with Matt had something to do with like Jackson's facility with the water. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Or like, or, you know, they're supposed to be like swimming in PE or something and Matt won't do it. And Jackson like notices and says something shitty or, you know, just something to, to facilitate a more meaningful, at least on one side interaction between them yeah that would have made it a little easier to believe that they had some kind of like not they jackson and matt but they the canima and matt had some kind of connection pre little lizard high five yeah no that would have been fun when stalinsky says he can't trust styles they encourage him to trust scott instead which he does Mm, i don't know about that sheriff (laughs) yeah disagree sheriff the three of them go to the sheriff's station to access the evidence. Since Zelensky no longer works there, they have to convince the deputy at the front desk to let them in. We need to bring Derek in to flash that smile again. Oh, yeah. Right, it is the same deputy as in Shapeshifted. Also, I like that when she lets them in, Styles gives her a little thumbs up. <laughs> Styles suggests they start by reviewing the camera footage from the hospital around the time of Jessica's murder, which the Kanama master had to commit himself since the Kanama wouldn't kill someone who was pregnant. He's got the morals. Smart. Though they can't get a usable image of Matt, they do see a figure on the footage that looks like him from behind. I really appreciate they didn't do uh, the cheat that so many of other TV shows do where they like go enhance and they're like zooming <laughs> in, seeing his reflection in like a mirror. Like, yeah. And it, it's it's yeah. magically much higher resolution than the camera actually records. It's right. A, it's amazing <laughs> how that one megapixel security camera is able to zoom in like 5,000%. Yeah, it is. it's crystal clear. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing yeah, stuff. Styles tries to claim that he can recognize the back of Matt's head. When Stalinsky doesn't buy it, Styles asks how many people have leather jackets like that. Stalinsky says millions, literally. Especially in Beacon Hills. Mm-hmm. We already know there's a Beacon Hills Leather Club subscription package. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd say a lot of people in Beacon Hills even have the same hoodie leather jacket combo, which yeah. I'm actually a fan of that combo. Uh, <laughs> but I'm surprised Matt didn't even bother putting up his hoodie. I would, you know, at least try to hide myself a little bit if I was going to go in there and murder someone. The hubris. Yeah, the hubris. But then he puts it up later for dramatic effect. And it's like, buddy, there aren't even cameras in there. You've, you've done this awfully wrong. When does <laughs> he do that? When he kills Jessica, she sees him and he's got the hoodie uh, up and everything. Yeah, it's like, right. it's like you've wasted this. Right. So that, that was like a cult hood. Yeah. 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 That, or like a Sith hood or something. That wasn't yeah. like a, like a hoodie leather jacket combo. Yeah. Matt would be a Star Wars nerd. They noticed that the matte shaped figure spoke to Melissa during her shift. Yeah. Shockingly, he talked to the one nurse that works at Beacon Hills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a call to Melissa confirms that it was Matt on the tape. They ask her to meet them at the sheriff's station so she can give an official statement. That, combined with Matt's date with Allison at the rave, 
Footprints at the trailer site and a receipt from the garage where the mechanic was killed could put Matt at the scene of four murders. I mean, also Styles, but <laughs> I guess for sake he didn't do it. Yeah. He wasn't at the trailer. Yeah, but I guess just three out of four ain't bad. No. Oh. <laughs> Styles asks if one's an incident, two's coincidence, and three's a pattern, what's four? Solinsky says that four is enough for warrant, and that's a kick-ass line. It is. And enough for a budding relationship if you ask shippers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Steric shippers love using this sequence they just pair it with like four different instances of Derek and Styles. I don't know saving each other's lives or standing too close together whatever it takes which is very little and I say that as a steric shipper absolutely Stolinski saying he's gonna get a warrant delights Styles to no end his fist bump is so adorable yeah with his long giraffe neck so into it Styles heads to the front desk to let the deputy know to let Melissa in when she arrives but he finds the station deserted. This is weird. Shouldn't there be people working here? Oh, on Beacon Hills. They must have to pay people so much to work in this town. Styles' spidey senses are definitely tingling. Styles turns around to find Matt pointing a gun in his face. Also, not the last time that'll happen, sadly. Oh, where did Matt get a gun? Yeah, that I don't know. But I do love how Matt has like tears in his eyes in the shot. That acting choice was really really good and it was really good it is Ugh. cool i i it feels like whatever the connection between him and the canima is just intense like like he's constantly feeling it and i feel like that's really interesting the gun came from the deputy on the floor because they show a close-up of her holster that is oh. empty oh yep. eagle eyes oh yeah derek is trapped in a white room until an awful noise startles him back to consciousness i feel like this is a strange sequence. Do you guys agree? Or is it just yes. me? It is, among other things. He's not shirtless in real life. Why is he shirtless in his dream thing? Because hot. But I mean, I, I, again, he he wasn't shirtless in real life. He could have been shirtless in real life if that's what they wanted. But that's true. instead, he's like clothed, but hallucinating himself. They knew that 2012 audiences could only take so much shirtless heckling in one go <laughs> they're like we have to look out for our viewers we can't just have them all going mad you get you get past a certain point and alarms start to go off you exactly know? that's how it works Derek wakes up with a wicked necromancy hangover and is surprised to find Deaton there it turns out Deaton had woken him up with a dog whistle that's kind of werewolf racist he could have just punched him in the face a bunch of times that is how people typically deal with Derek yeah. But it only works with styles. Yeah. Aw. But do you guys think Deaton just constantly goes about his day with that whistle around his neck? Absolutely. Yes. Deaton informs Derek that he's still an alpha, though, as usual, an incompetent one. Ugh. Very rude. It's rough, but accurate. Well, sure, accurate, but f- you also. Uh, I mean, you know, hearing it out loud is a lot. Deaton, maybe you could be slightly more helpful and he wouldn't be so bad at being an alpha. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Dean explains that helping the hail pack used to be a big part of his life, and he had promised Derek's mother that he would look after Derek too. But why haven't you ever done anything to help him, you lying promise breaker? Uh, he had his fingers crossed behind his back when he made that promise, apparently, because <laughs> that's the only thing that makes any sense. Oh Typical Dean. He seems to actively hate Derek. <laughs> I mean, and like, I, I do get it. 
because Derek did knock him out and like knock him around that one time. That being said, I do wonder, and we talked about this at the time, but you know, in retrospect, I'm like, why did he lie to Derek about that? We never got an explanation. Deaton was just like, I don't feel like telling him, I guess which was already weird at the time because who cares? It's a picture of a deer. (laughs) And like, apparently Laura was involved or or investigating it. So it wasn't just like, I'm not going to share what could be sensitive information with this rando. Although I don't, if he didn't know anything, it wouldn't be sensitive. It, it there, There's like no version of it that actually makes sense to me. I'm not saying he deserved to get beat up. I'm just saying I don't get it. I keep yeah. trying to replay it and being like, how can I fix this and make it work? But I haven't, I haven't managed it so far other than just Deaton is a liar. <laughs> and he's just like, not like, that's not a real thing that he promised Talia, he would help Derek. Yeah. Derek remembers Laura mentioning Deaton, saying that he was some kind of advisor. By way of advising, Deaton predicts that Peter will try to worm his way into Derek's head. Though he shouldn't trust Peter, Deaton suggests that Derek trust at least one person, one person in particular. Styles? Aw. I mean, obviously. Derek presumes that person is Scott, even though Deaton points out he doesn't actually trust Derek either. Deaton goes on to tell Derek to find Scott and Stalinsky and stop whatever Gerard has planned because Deaton has known Gerard a long time. Care to elaborate on that, Deaton? No? Okay, then. Right? That's such a huge thing to say so casually. I'd be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You've known Gerard Argent for a long time? Why? How? Why haven't you said anything? Did you know he was coming to town? Do you know he raised a sociopath and probably is one himself? What? And by the way, if Scott's in trouble and Deaton knows about it, why isn't Deaton doing anything? Uh, just keep beep-booping around, R2. God. Back at the sheriff's station, Matt holds Stalinsky, Scott, and Styles at gunpoint. He forces Styles to handcuff his dad to the wall in the holding area. Scott and Styles are shocked to see a hallway splattered with blood and dead bodies. Scott asks if Matt's planning to kill everyone at the station. Matt says no, that's just what Jackson's for. Matt just thinks about killing them, and Jackson does it. That's sort of the premise of Lullaby, the Chuck Palahniuk novel, that you think about killing someone and then they die. Not so fun fact, he wrote it after his father was murdered and he was asked whether he supported the death penalty for his father's killer. That's very heavy. Yeah. Uh, no transition from that. I'm just going to say I really <laughs> loved the scene we get where uh, the can him up, digs his claws into one of the dead deputies and drags him back. Yeah. It is a great shot. Yeah. Stuff like that is always fun. Like we got it with Slappy the Janitor. One One day from retirement. Yes, he was one day from retirement. So it's always good when bodies are yanked out of frame. Just always great. Was this janitor named after a certain ventriloquist dummy? He might have been. He was a big fan of (laughs) of Goosebumps and Arl Stein. His name wasn't Slappy, but he made people call him that. They thought it was weird, but he went with it. So just more headcanon, just just growing on the situation like moss i'm going to add that to the table forky you want <laughs> coming to paramount plus this fall Slappy, the janitor. he dies in every day. episode and in every episode he's still one day from retirement oh my god i would watch that so hardcore you don't even know will you don't even know so it's like happy death day but yes but about a janitor in beacon hills Yeah, it's good. It's good. (laughs) Meanwhile, Allison tries to get Gerard to leave her room so she can be alone. He agrees, saying that he has something from her mother, but it can wait. No, it's a coupon to Applebee's. She wanted you to have it. After you go kill Derek, she said you could celebrate there with an Oreo milkshake. (laughs) 
That's my Jordan voice, I guess. I like your Jordan It's really good. It's really good. You guys probably thought Michael Hogan was right here, right? Is Michael Hogan on our podcast now? Chills. Oh, man. (laughs) But like, oh my God. He's like so obvious here. I mean, this could only work on a teenager being like, well, I guess a super important letter from your dead mom can wait. I know you're busy right now. I'll come back. Yeah, definitely could only work on an emotionally compromised teenager. I don't think it could even work on a teenager who is like doing okay. like ace in their classes and had had a bowl of Wheaties. Like, I feel like even that teenager would be like, what? Yeah. I was going to say Scott. I was literally just about to say, like, if he's talking to Scott, he'd just be like, well, Scott, I've got this super important letter from, wait, Scott, Scott, where'd you go, Scott? You know, where it's just, <laughs> he would just have walked off already. That would have been the end of it. <laughs> oh my God. Because Scott's kind of stupid, but. Whatever. But we love Scott. We love Scott, dear listeners. Scott is awesome. He just is kind of an idiot sometimes. But we love him. Sometimes. We We, love you, Scott. We've talked about that. He's just the sort of person who, like, he has certain things he cares about, and that's what he applies his intelligence and intuition to. And everything else is kind of just, like, dust in the wind. (laughs) He's the most myopic teenager that has ever existed. Yeah. When this piques Allison's interest, Gerard explains that it's a letter from Victoria to Allison, a counterpoint to the false suicide note they gave to the police, and that Victoria wanted him to read it to get his thoughts. Well, that's bullshit. Complete bullshit. Once Allison reads it, she must destroy it. I assume just eat it. (laughs) Or it'll (laughs) self-destruct. Gerard goes on to say that he wasn't close to his own mother, but reading Victoria's letter made him wish he had been. If he read such a letter from his own mother, he says he wouldn't be able to rest until Derek and his babies were howling, not for mercy, but for death. What the f***, Grandpa? (laughs) His delivery of that, like his lips were trembling when he finished that speech. He was so... Just so into it. Yeah. Some people got to buy into their own bullshit to sell it. Yeah. At the station, Matt forces Styles to get rid of the evidence against him. When a car arrives, Scott fears it's his mom and that Matt will hurt her. But it turns out that it's Derek, already paralyzed by the canema by the time he reaches the door. It's just not Derek's day. Is it ever Derek's day? Sadly not. Scott's over here like, oh, it's Derek. Him you can shoot. <laughs> Allison burns the letter and, in a burst of rage, blows through her room, breaking things and throwing things away. She doesn't have room for anything now, but her need for revenge. I love this sequence and this song. It's Night by Zola Jesus. It's so good. The drums sound like battle drums. It's a really good song. But also, I'm just kind of like, I mean, it's a great sequence, but I also laugh a little bit at it. I have a bit of a chuckle. I mean, she's over here like, I don't need necklaces anymore. I'm an adult. Uh, Just black and leather for me from now on. Better put on my murder uniform. It's jeans and a black shirt. Now she just needs her sneaking around beanie. Styles' continued penchant for sarcasm leads Matt to have the canima paralyze him right on top of Derek. Because once again, Matt's the biggest shipper of the Derek ship. Scott goes to catch Styles, but Canima Jackson throws his hand in Scott's face and waggles his finger. Oh no, you didn't. I love that <laughs> gesture. It starts out as a talk to the hand and then becomes an ah, ah, ah. Didn't say the magic word. <laughs> <laughs> I love the half Jackson, half Canima look here. Yeah, it's fantastic. Matt taunts Derek, saying he's probably not used to feeling so helpless. You'd be surprised. (laughs) Matt barely has any interaction with Derek. I feel like it's a little rude to go ahead and jump on the let's, you know, be a dick to Derek train. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's the world's longest train. It's like the Snowpiercer. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa arrives soon after and is forced to watch in horror as Matt shoots Scott. Poor Melissa. Oh, but Sheriff Slinsky hears the gunshot. Did he call out Scott's name before Styles's? He did. Yes, he did. <laughs> Even he's over there like, Scott's the main character. He has to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's next demand is a copy of the bestiary because he wants an explanation for why he seems to be turning into a canima too. Styles' face when he sees Matt's canima skin. Oh my God. <laughs> so funny. So great. By the way, I love those set pictures of O'Brien making Hecklin laugh while they were trying to film this scene. I don't want exactly what you're talking about. And it's everything to me. It's everything. so good. When Allison gets a text asking for the bestiary, supposedly from Scott, she deduces that the message was actually sent by someone else. She, Gerard, and Chris guess that Scott, Derek, Jackson, and the Canima master are all at the sheriff's station. But don't worry, all the staff are already dead. Which, you know, I believe Chris actually points out. Gerard thinks this is the confluence of events they've been waiting for. Chris questions whether it's a confluence or a conflagration, but Gerard is open to both. Okay, I actually love that line. You would. And Jeff loves that kind of wordplay. Gerard gives Allison the authority to determine the hunter's strategy and lead the way, since their tradition is for the women in their family to make the decisions. Um, footage not found. This is the footage! Finally, we have footage! <laughs> Finally, we have footage. It is found! All right. But, but it is suspect that... That only takes place when the men in the family want something from her. Like, yep. you know, in season one, the adult women in the family are Victoria and Kate. And we don't see them strategizing and like leading the hunters from a planning perspective. I mean, the closest we get is Victoria saying the thing about finding Derek and cutting him in half, but that never, obviously, that never actually comes to fruition. And it's not like we see her in other episodes being like, here's what we're going to do. That's like the only time we even really see her interacting with other hunters that she's not married to. Yeah. And Kate sees herself not as the coach, but the quarterback to use her metaphor. I don't understand football. Um, <laughs> But I, I understand the analogy there. So yeah, it feels like, you know, as Allison was getting close to being an adult, now they're talking about how the women in their family are the ones to lead. We still don't see really Victoria calling the shots. It's still somewhat Chris, mostly Gerard. And then they magnanimously pass it over to Allison because Gerard wants something from her. Right, yeah. So- it's like Gerard is like your classic fake feminist, you know, or it's like, oh, women's rights, whatever, equality, blah, blah, blah. When really like he just wants to manipulate her into doing something that he likes. The future is female. Haven't you heard? Mm -hmm. I do feel like Chris is kind of genuine in this moment. I think he's still kind of like unsure about everything that's happening. And it's all moving really quickly for him. He's kind of caught between like being worried about Allison and being worried also about like what the hell Gerard's up to. But I do feel like, you know, with Victoria gone, he kind of feels like a little bit rudderless and he is turning to Allison to like kind of lead the way for him. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It feels genuine on his part. I just think that tradition, when we get that verbalized for the first time in season two, would have rung more true if we'd actually seen that happening with Victoria. 
Because yeah. even when she's alive, and even in season two when she's alive, we don't see that happening. I agree. I just feel like here, Chris does need Allison to yeah. kind of guide him. Yeah. Allison declares she wants Derek dead and Derek's pack too if they try to protect him. Sorry, real quick. Can we talk about how unbuttoned Chris's shirt is in this scene? Well, he is on the market for a new wife now. <laughs> Look at good JR. He is. Chris asks about Scott, but Allison says that Scott's not the one who forced her mother to kill herself. No one forced your mother to kill herself. Yeah, no one. But she's decided it's stabbing time anyway. And in that moment, Gerard felt a little flutter in his heart. It's sort of like love. Yeah. He is Kate's father. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, that is very clear. Still paralyzed, Derek and Stiles assess their situation. Derek believes that Matt is turning into a canima because he broke the rules and killed people who weren't murderers. The universe finds a way to balance things out, Derek says. That is a cool idea. It is. But Derek and Styles doubt that Matt would believe them if they told him that. Since Matt will likely kill them all once he gets his hands on the bestiary, Derek decides to try and force the toxin out of his body faster. Time to suck it out, Styles. <laughs> I've seen those docs about what you do when someone's like, you know, poisoned by a snake. snake. Oh my God. Gotta suck that out. That was on the cutting room floor, I'm sure. <laughs> In classic Derek fashion, Derek hurts himself to try to speed up his healing and get the paralysis to wear off, which really grosses Styles out. Matt comes back in and there's just like a pool of vomit next to Styles. What happened in here? You don't want to know. <laughs> Matt tells Scott that he pities Scott for the way he sees things. Scott is so busy wondering how to explain his miraculous healing to others that he doesn't even stop to notice how amazing it is that he has miraculous healing. The bite is a gift. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Matt explains to Scott how the Canima victims killed him. After winning the state championship, Coach Leahy let members of the 2006 Beacon Hills High School swim team come to his house to drink and celebrate. Ew. Leahy definitely shouldn't have been doing that. No, he should not have. Yeah, that's bad. Drunk, the swimmer started throwing people into the pool. Camden, Isaac's older brother, threw in Matt, who was there visiting Isaac. Matt couldn't swim and drown while everyone else either ignored his cries for help or laughed at him. I think it's interesting that Matt didn't get a chance to kill Camden, and Camden's the one who actually threw him in. I think it's interesting that all these teenagers are just sitting around watching this kid drown. I mean, have none of them seen Friday the 13th? It always ends poorly, kids. <laughs> Coach Leahy forced Matt to promise he would never tell anyone, and he didn't. But Matt was traumatized and often had panic attacks. At school, he had to look at the others who were there and let him die, albeit temporarily. Why did he have to see them at school? Weren't they like eight years older than him? Maybe it's a combined school. Like my school had all the grades in one campus. Okay, but we've seen their school. A <laughs> lot of it. We don't see like any 12-year-olds there. That's accurate. How old was Matt at this time? Well, he's Isaac's age. And while the swimmers are 24 now, that would put him at math. How does it work? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he'd be like 11 or 12 or something, I, right? I keep losing track of how long ago this was. So, okay, this is the- you know, 2000- the hailfire again? <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is the 2006 swim team. And the first few seasons of Teen Wolf take place in 2011. So it's been five years making Matt, if he's 16 now, he was 11 when this happened. But they also said all the swimmers were 24 when they were murdered, which would have made them 
all 19 when they won the championships and Magda. Yeah. So even giving them the benefit that, yeah, they were like seniors that put them at like 17 or 18. I mean, I already feel like it's weird enough that they're all exactly 24. Right. But yeah, like being 17 or 18. Yeah. That Teen Wolf math is just so weird. <laughs> it's like that sidewalk test the other day, Will, of one plus one equals three. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Anyway, this time frame, I feel like makes no sense. And I highly doubt that he would have seen them at school. I concur. At most, maybe on the bus. I can see the bus. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the bus, but he says, I saw them at school. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like walk in the hallways. So no. Then earlier this year, Matt went to take pictures at the cemetery during Kate Arjun's funeral. You know, like you do. At a funeral? Okay, Matt. He works for the school paper, the Beacon Hills High School Bugle. Matt saw Leahy there, and the memories came flooding back. While taking Leahy's picture, Matt wished Leahy dead. I don't think you're the only one. Yeah. The next day, Matt found out Leahy really was dead. Like something out of Greek mythology. And Scott's like, I'm sorry, I'm failing English. Right. Although, in Scott's defense, I think Matt might have missed the moral of the Orestes story. So, there's that. The next night, the bond was cemented between Matt and the Canima, symbolized in flashback by them touching hands. Boop. All right, Scott, just rip out Matt's throat while he's monologuing. Then the Canima will need a new master. You can boop him on the nose, then bond with him, and be done with all of this. Scott doesn't do that. Uh, I know. Styles might have. Yeah. All Matt had to do, he explains, was take a picture of an intended victim, and the Canima would kill them. Say cheese and die. It is Matt's favorite Goosebumps book. <laughs> In the present time, everything escalates as Allison and the hunters attack the sheriff's station. Char is over there quoting Shakespeare again while they're throwing in smoke bombs. Do you guys think he's just a retired English teacher? Yeah, that, that would make sense for his cover as a principal. If anyone gave it a cursory glance, they'd be like, sure, that guy's got a background in education for some reason. Makes sense. That is a beautiful shot, by the way, with the glass shattering inward as the hunters spray bullets. Yes, when in doubt, in a scene with gunfire. Also, the shot of Scott running out of the haze of smoke is pretty great. Oh yeah, it's really cool. Scott comes back to where Styles and Derek are still on the floor. Derek, slowly starting to be able to move again, tells Scott to get Styles out of here. I was going to. I don't need your permission, Derek. Enjoy the smoke inhalation. <laughs> Styles is like, no, I want Derek to take me. Out of here, right? Yes. That's what I meant. Yeah, you didn't let me finish. I really want to finish. <laughs> you guys have dirty minds. <laughs> <laughs> I would never think of such thoughts. Oh, the most chaste of the co hosts. Aren't you pure? <laughs> Chris and Allison infiltrate the building. Jackson's transformation looks great under the flickering light. Yeah, the whole sequence reminds me of the police shootout from uh, the Terminator. I could see that. While Scott gets Styles to relative safety, Derek finally recovers enough to get back to his feet and fight. Scott runs into a very armed and very dangerous Allison in the hallway. She demands to know where Derek is. Scott tries to ask her what she's doing, what happened. He looks like such a confused, sad puppy here. <laughs> like, why is my owner being mean to me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's rough. But Allison just insists that he stay out of her way. Oh, does that sound familiar, Scott? He's over here like, oh my God, is she going to kill Derek? I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> I'm just very sleepy. <laughs> He's always sleepy whenever Derek's in trouble. Sleepy wolf. 
Allison and Chris stalk through the smoke-filled sheriff's station. Uh, it's looking like a Michael Mann film in here, and I am totally into it. <laughs> McKenna attacks Chris and comes close to clawing him, but Allison shoots it right in the head. Damn. Kill shot. Girl, you gotta learn how to reload that crossbow faster. Or at all. She's just kind of standing there at this point, watching the Kanima slowly remove the arrow from its head. Yeah. I gotta say, the Kanima suit looks pretty bunchy there. This is one of those scenes where you can kind of see the seams. I thought the same thing. But the sound design while the arrow was coming out of his gray matter was great. Yes, it was. Allison hides in wait with a knife while the Kanima hunts her. I love Allison with a knife. I like it even better than any of her bows. Same. I also love the Kanima on its tippy-toe claws. <laughs> Tippy-toes. Tippy-toes. Allison leaps off a desk, bringing her knife down into the Kanima. I know we've talked a lot about all the fantastic shots in this episode, but that shot of her attacking in slow motion is one of my all-time favorite shots from the show. It's really fantastic. It made me think about that interview with Elizabeth Olsen. I think you pointed me to that article, Calissa where she was saying that Joss Whedon kept reminding her to keep a calm face during fight scenes because her fighting face looked unattractive in slow motion. I won't unpack that now because, wow, do we not have time. But I really do love this imagery of Allison. We don't have to love where she is right now morally to love her character arc for this season or the way they film her fighting. Allison stabs the canima. Keep stabbing. Stabby stab. It reminds me of like a really cute gift sequence uh that some animation that someone did during the original run of the show where it's like Matt and the Kanima bonding together and they're doing like all these like pet owner things and then it ends with them like doing cute little stabbing together. I totally remember that. Because Allison doesn't just continue stabbing after that first good stabby stab, the Kanima recovers quickly and paralyzes her. Oh, it's a good thing Matt has a crush on you. Otherwise you'd be dead. Matt approaches Allison who can't move and says that she should have given him a chance. What a nice guy. Oh, he might as well be wearing a fedora for this. <laughs> Matt mentions that time he told her that he wasn't the sort of guy to say, if I can't have you, no one can. He's like, if I can't have her, no one can. I like his mid-century radio announcer voice there. At least he seems to know on some level how antiquated that is, I guess. But he goes on to disprove that entirely saying, if I can't have you, no one can. But what was with the distorted voice here? I don't know. When I was watching this, I was thinking in this moment, Allison's thought process must be like, I can't believe I'm going to be killed by an incel. But then I realized, sadly, that's an all too real thing. Oh. Very depressing. Way to bring it down, Will. Yeah, thanks, Will. Way down. A noise distracts Matt, giving Chris an opportunity to come in and carry her to safety. Matt comes into the holding cell area where, with Mama Call's encouragement, Stolinski has just managed to break the wall fixture he was handcuffed to. Styles, still mostly paralyzed, crawls towards them, but he has to watch helplessly as Matt knocks Stolinski out. That's a great shot, too, of Styles crawling toward them. O'Brien did a great job there. O'Brien. Always does a great job, but this just breaks my heart. So good. He just can't get to him. Yeah, there's a lot of, I feel like, Styles feeling powerless in this season. Yeah. But I guess there's kind of, that's kind of a run, running theme with Teen Wolf. Even mm -hmm. with characters that are super powered, feeling powerless. She's yeah. talking about Derek Yale. I'm largely talking about Derek <laughs> <laughs> While waiting outside, Gerard has a coughing spell and has to pop a pill. In the shadows, he spots a mysterious figure in a duster. Uh, I'm running up Tic Tacs and cocaine. I just assume that's what keeps old men going. Hmm. Also, a duster, poorly dressed figure, could that be? <laughs> <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer was decades ago, dude. 
Remember his favorite his favorite movie is The Crow. Throwback. Back in the sheriff's station, Melissa is shocked at the sight of a wolfed out Derek who starts to come for Matt before the cannibal comes in. Classic Derek, left on a floor half paralyzed somewhere, gets up and comes into the holding cells because there are still people being held captive in there. I forgot this happens with Melissa seeing Derek like that. They still don't get to interact though, sadly. Ah, such a missed opportunity. Yeah. The kinema stuns Derek and menaces Melissa. I really like how it skitters up the wall and things like that because it's a lizard. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great. Luckily, Scott comes in before the kinema can hurt Melissa, and Scott's fully wolfed out in plain view of his mother. He could have tried being like, Mom, I'm so sorry he slipped you LSD. Is it a weird trip? <laughs> Man, what is there to be scared of? Look at his little pointy ears. Pointy, pointy. I just want to, like, touch him. Oh, Mama McCall with her tears. And then Dino with his sad piano. It is a lot to process. She's just now finding out werewolves are real. Oh, in the worst possible way. And Scott's just like, do I look pretty, mommy? <laughs> oh, Scott's dejected, ashamed wolfie face gives me the worst eye tears. Oh, sad wolfie. Scott encounters Gerard and asks why Gerard is attacking, given that Scott had done everything he asked. Joined Derek's pack and passed all information. Gerard tells Scott to leave Matt and Jackson to the hunters, or rather Gerard himself. He tells Scott to go and focus on helping his friends and Melissa. When Gerard drops his medication, Scott hands it back to him because he is a true Boy Scout. <laughs> Unbeknownst to them, Derek overhears their whole conversation because I uh, guess Scott still can't pick up Derek's heartbeat. Nope. And it's just betrayal on betrayal for Derek. Yeah. He sure tries good. Yeah. He, <laughs> he tries very good. That's our, we have a very special episode, just Derek, he tries good. He gets, he gets a, a gold star on the kindergarten board of life. Overrun by the hunters, Matt escapes out the back. Gerard finds him and drowns him. Couldn't have happened to a nicer kid. It is kind of poetic. You know that bitch loves his poetry. <laughs> yeah, it's a miracle he didn't narrate this death in iambic pentameter, honestly. Uh, Matt, you gotta learn to fight back more, buddy. He's a lover, not a fighter, but... Also not a lover. He has <laughs> yeah. the Kanima for the fighting. Actually, where is his Kanima buddy during this? I guess he was just like, I'm not that invested in this situation. Bye. Bye. <laughs> While Matt is killed, Peter looks on from a distance in apparent fascination. Interesting, he's thinking. But it seems like he's already ditched his duster, so he's got that going for him. Yeah. Hey, as Lydia implied one episode ago, it's not a real party if there aren't costume changes. Uh, can someone tell me where the f*** Lydia is, by the way? Oh, yeah, she's not in this episode. I know. It's another episode this season with no Lydia, and I, I know. am not a fan. It's... Actually, I love this episode, but still, I need Lydia. This episode is actually one of my favorites, but its biggest flaw is the lack of Lydia Martin, by far. Yeah. I don't know how she would have played into this, but I would have figured it out. Yeah. I guess it depends on how, like, recovered she is from the Peter thing, because I could see her trying to go to Allison to comfort her. I yeah. kind of... I, I assumed that she wouldn't be totally recovered yet. But also, do people know? Does everybody know yet? Because it seemed like Scott. Knows. It seemed That's like true. Scott didn't know. Like when he was yeah. like, there's kind of a look on his face when he encounters her in the hallway, where he like again when Allison is involved, he applies this intuition that he has, and there's definitely a look on his face where he's like, something happened, something fundamental has changed some earth-shaking event has caused this i just don't know what it is or how to get her to tell me yeah so i, I don't think people know yet i don't think anyone knows 
we'll see how that works out. With his former master gone, the Canima approaches Gerard. He doesn't have a friend no more. He needs a new friend. <laughs> Something very kitten-like about the Canima in the scene to me. Yeah. It's like slinking over there. A little bit Oliver and company. And Gerard welcomes the Canima. They engage in the mystical high five of destiny. This is weird in slow-mo. I don't feel like we need that. I agree. Meanwhile, Peter sees Gerard becoming the new Canima master and just like, this is weird. Oh, well. Tuck that away for use later. The episode ends there. And it's a great episode. I did miss Lydia and I also missed the betas, but it's still one of my favorites. Yeah, it's good. Fantastic. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Fury. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. Werewolves, hunters, canamas. It's like a freaking Halloween party every full moon. Except for you, Styles. What do you turn into? Abominable snowman. But uh, it's more of like a wintertime thing, you know, seasonal. All right, Wolfies, now we're going to jump over to our interview with Karen Rout and Natalie Fisher, the hosts of the Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. Let's have a listen. All right, well, Karen and Natalie, how did Teen Wolf come into your lives? I actually caught the very first episode of Teen Wolf when it aired because I was watching, I think it came on after like the VMAs or something, some award show. And I remember seeing the commercials leading up to it and thinking, oh, that looks like something I might be into. And I watched the very first episode and I was very impressed by it because usually pilots are a little rough. And I remember just sort of being like, wow, this is good. I definitely want to keep watching. And then from there, just every week, kept tuning in. And all these years later, here we are. So you were watching it live from the start, Karen. Like yeah. From, mm-hmm. from the, I actually I don't think, if I, if I knew that, I'd forgotten it. Um, <laughs> this is a long time ago. That's 10 years ago, Karen. I know. Um, Crazy. I definitely didn't have it live from the start. And in Australia, it wouldn't have been airing on any normal television. It would have uh, but I was at a convention. It was actually the LeakyCon Harry Potter fan convention in 2012. Nice. That was probably five or so days or maybe maybe less than that after the season two finale aired. And the people that I was hanging out with there, which includes Brooke, actually, who's someone who nice. was on our, is part of our, our team. She was like, have you heard of this show Teen Wolf I think you'd really like it like have, like have you heard of it and I was like no I I, I do not know this show if I had heard of it I, it was very vaguely and they, basically I was just like told like watch Teen Wolf and I did and then another friend of mine in the UK was also like oh yeah, yeah I watched that too like another friend who I kind of trust about like if she likes it I'll like it you know and yeah. so I got into it from from them in 2012 and I guess that was in the August 2012 and by like like a couple of months later, we had started the show because Karen and I didn't really know each other on Hyperball. Um, like we both wrote Hyperball, but we didn't like communicate that much. And we were kind of like, does anyone here watch like else like Teen Wolf? And then, yeah, we basically connected specifically over that being like, oh, you're the only person other here that watches the show. Like, should we cover the show? Should we do a podcast? And <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how we became friends as well. It's awesome. Yeah, that's a really great story. Yeah. Love that. Uh, So for fans that discovered the show after its original run, can you tell us about 
Not Another Teen Wolf podcast, which I think a lot of new fans might not be familiar with. Not Another Teen Wolf podcast came about because I had been hired on at Hypable where Natalie already worked to be an editor, but I really wanted to be a writer. So I, and I was already obsessed with Teen Wolf by that point. And I asked them, please let me cover the show. Like nobody else watches it. Back then the fandom was very small, but very, very passionate. And I was like, we have to cover this. Like, I really want to be a part of this. And I hadn't had a whole lot of podcasting experience and to start our own podcast was really daunting, but felt like it was such a good idea. And I just wanted to immerse myself in the fandom and everything. So we kind of, we did it first ever Teen Wolf podcast started in 2012. And yeah, Natalie, you said August was when you- Uh, August is when I found the show and the first episode was like 10th of October. Yeah, October. And we brought Brooke and Courtney and Danya in and- To do like, yeah, part of it was the social media. Like as in we, at that point, neither of us understood Tumblr at yeah. all, but Brooke, <laughs> Brooke and Courtney were like, we know that this will be really big deal on Tumblr, like the fandom as well. And so they made like a blog for the podcast and like basically just were on top of like everything as a resource. But the show itself is basically an, um, a podcast about Teen Wolf specifically. We started at the end of season two um, or, you know, before season three started and we started with um, recapping the first two seasons episode by episode um we actually went back and did the first two seasons and then by the time season three came around we were covering the show live every week every time it aired and so it's basically a back catalog of that it's like coverage of every episode as well as random episodes that are just either about something related to the show like we did a lot of episodes that we call bite-sized episodes even though they were not not short sometimes (laughs) they covered like the movie or like mythology in general about werewolves like old mythology about werewolves or like the tie-in novel we did you know episodes about fan fiction and stuff like that and we also did interviews like you guys are doing with cast and crew and various people who wanted to come on and sit down with us for an hour or more as well as publishing the shorter audio of interviews that we did at events and stuff like that so yeah like Jeff was on it a bunch of times and like various cast members and crew we also loved obviously talking to people who were behind the scenes and how they did different things to contribute to the show and various writers Will you were on it I was. But there's like 150 plus episodes and you can go back to the start and follow along with the show if you if you want to. It's really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Is there anything in particular that you're hoping will be explored in the upcoming movie? I want to see some new creatures because uh, I just always love the mythology and all of the monsters and everything. And I just want an update on everybody. Like even if we don't see them all, just want to know what's going on. How are they doing? What are they reading right now? Like just tell me everything. Karen's right. We do kind of go through every all the characters' Goodreads lists, so we know what they're reading and, and <laughs> oh, stuff that's like that. So I, I can, I'm, I'm fine giving that away. I think okay. Jeff will be okay with it. What I actually want to be explored in this movie is, I mean, I don't know. We we talked about it a bit on our episode because we did a new episode when the movie news came out. Honestly, for me, it's always like the Hale family stuff, like the backstory of like of the werewolf culture 
Um, oh, you just said the magic words. <laughs> having been, you know, having, you know, because obviously like Scott is not a, a natural werewolf. And while the current, you know, story was always on that, I always wanted kind of more of like the real details and the history about, about that, about the werewolf I guess community or the backstory of that worldwide and obviously just to see what happens like I don't even know if it's going to be set in the gap between the finale and uh the time jump at the end of the finale or if it's going to be set after the last place that we see Scott like after the time jump again like how old everyone's going to be like because I worked out if it was like in real time like they'd be like almost the age that like Posey is now like 27 28 like I don't know I just have no idea. Like, I literally have no idea, like, what to expect, basically. So, um, and, you know, I just want to see basically most of the characters. Like, you know, I don't know how available every actor is, but I want to see, you know, the the characters that matter the most. I don't, I don't know. I'm not as tied to Karen as the, about the creatures. They could just be in the library. That would be fun. (laughs) I see Will over there working on his p- 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 poker face. <laughs> I see him smirking. Um, can I turn that around? Will, what was most important, without actually saying a spoiler, what was most important to you to honor in the movie? The only thing I can say that without fear of letting something slip is that I just wanted to make sure when you watch the movie, you have a good time, that it feels like the show. And that, because for me, at least when I watched Teen Wolf, especially like the, when I, because uh, I've said this before, I was able to read all the scripts before the, the series even started. And so when I finally watched the show and I watched the pilot, I had such a good time yeah. watching it that it was a roller coaster of fun, you know, that it had the comedy and the scares and the romance and just the fun aspect of what a supernatural show can, I think, bring to audiences. And for yeah. me, that's what I want the movie to be. Yeah, is that you watch it and it feels like you're back together with these people that you love and you're having another adventure. I like the Teen Wolf finale, but it is not fun in any way. It is not. A, it is not a, it's not a particularly uplifting finale. It's like the grind continues, and in fact, we're facing a threat that's even worse than the one that we've experienced before. Yeah. So that that was always a really interesting ending to me. So I'm curious to see whether it's like more fun than that, or whether it like deals with that, or or anything like that. Because I, I definitely like the finale, but I was kind of like shocked that it didn't like have both tied on it I guess yeah not in a bad way I got you I understand you probably said this already on the show but like how did you feel when asked to to contribute like when hearing the news and asked to contribute oh I felt awesome (laughs) we were there he was actually at our house I was really? at their house yeah. sitting at a table playing a board game <laughs> yep, and we that's... took a break and I looked at my phone and there were two texts from Jeff and the first was got a second to talk and the second was this is important and I ran out of the house and I did called him did you tell them straight away I did because uh Jeff I was on the phone with him and he was like hey there's gonna be a movie you can't tell anyone pause for dramatic effect but you can tell Kate and Kalissa because <laughs> he, he, he knew I, I was, that was in so sweet he knew I was in Indiana to see them and he knows that we're like attached to the hip yeah you know mm-hmm. and, and all that and so he was like you, you can tell them but no one else and so I, I went back inside and I told him hey there's gonna be a movie and Jeff wants me to write on it with him 
So and you guys just well, screamed for three oh, we, minutes straight. Yeah, yeah, we just like it was great. Lost our shit. <laughs> that and, that yeah. makes me feel very happy. <laughs> Thank you. It made it made me feel very happy too. You mentioned uh, putting out a new episode of your podcast uh, after mm. four years. What was it like returning to that? Weird. Really? We forgot, <laughs> we forgot how to do it. Because um, <laughs> every podcast has like a different way you do the intro, a different kind of like set of inside jokes. Natalie and I are on a lot of the same podcasts. Yeah, because we do other shows and we even started like a general interest show after the show, after Tim were finished. But we were like, and just one-on-one, especially because most of our other shows are three or four people and we were mm-hmm. just like uh <laughs> and I think and we the, left that in the recording too the, like I don't want to start don't, it you start it yeah the timing was really interesting for us with our new website and it was weird it was very weird I don't gotcha. know it wasn't bad but like weird <laughs> okay so if the universe of Teen Wolf were to continue past the movie, what form would you like it to take? Like spin-off, prequel, sequel. So that's in terms of the timeline, but then also format. I mean, miniseries, series, more movies, comics, games. Do, have you thought about that at all? Everything, all of it together. Not games, because I don't play them. Um, I do, I'll enough. play them. Okay, so two things I think are really tight ways of dealing with shows that are finished is yes closed mini series like a set like sets of like once every two years like a three or four episode like really tight mini series if not everyone is available to have like a contract the whole time or really well done canonical comics as long as you brief the actors on the canon of their character from the comics as long like if, if you know what I mean like as long as they are on top of like knowing that that information from the comics is canonical or same goes with that oh, animation like where they could voice um but I love you know I, I love beautifully done comics and I think that would work really well but it annoys me when a supplementary material like is it canon is it semi-canon is it real is it not real like we did a whole episode about for example the Nancy Holder Young Derek sequel mm-hmm. a prequel book yeah which I, actually, I think it's very interesting and the show didn't really stick to that canon with him and Kate like that that made it like weird like that made it like weird and creepy and like that was pedophilic and I Mm -hmm. was into it like not not like I was into it I was into it I was like (laughs) this is good like this explains trauma I really like this but the show didn't like really do that and I like canon to be canon like I love transformative material in terms of fan fiction but if you're putting out something with the brand on it it needs to be canon and it, the actors involved need to know what their canon is. So that's that's my caveat to comics. I would love comics as long as everyone's on top of like the story. If only you knew somebody who loved Teen Wolf and also has experience co-writing with people. If only it's me. I, if, oh, it's me. <laughs> it is I can you. do it. it I can you. write the books. You got the books. <laughs> You've got books on literal shelves right now. And it's, I do. And you're like one of the coolest people i ever talked to because anyone who's a writer is the coolest person i know because writing is the greatest art form no i'm blushing this is giving me flashbacks will um in case people don't know natalie and i were absolutely shocked that will actually listen to the podcast back in the day um and we were so flattered and we didn't think it was real and then he turned out to be the nicest person ever and um 
I miss you, Will. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Let me blush over here. Will really is the nicest person. Oh. He is, though. <laughs> we, we, we can confirm oh. after seven years of best friendship. Yeah. I remember oh. whenever he told us about Game Go on there, he was very excited when you guys asked It was him. just, I guess, like, you know, I, 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 we'll probably talk about this a bit more. But, yeah, the, the show, our show was very interesting in terms of the amount of engagement from the people who made the show. Not just coming on as interviews but like the amount of people who knew it or listened to it or like oh yeah I I know that like you know like you know commented on stuff that we'd said who were like from the show and we were like oh this is is this normal like is this is this normal but um not bad definitely not a bad thing just new for us very new no it's totally awesome y'all y'all had a great show and people listened like myself because I was like, oh, listen, you know, I get to listen to people who love a thing that I love. And it's just, it's like you're hanging out with friends talking about stuff. You know, it's, it's great. Yeah. Totally f- great. So uh, guys, tell us about your time getting to visit set, which apparently was very awesome. Oh no, was it was horrible. I, um, I hated it. Um, just kidding. We yeah. were very grateful to be invited to set. It was one of those things when we set out to do the podcast, we never expected to get the interaction from the cast and crew that we did, let alone be invited out to the set. It was my yeah. first time on a set. Twice. Twice. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, we, the first time was in 2014 when we came uh, to, not long after Karen and I met, like we met up in person specifically um, to go to the uh, BiteCon convention in LA and we nice. went to set after that with um basically all of the people who were helping with with the podcast with Brooke and Donya and Courtney and me and Karen and Matt took us I think and that was like Mm. the first time and then the second time was in maybe 2016 and that was like more casual that was like the first time was like here's a treat you've done something special in 2016 it was like yeah, just come over. Um, but it was, um, and I can't remember exactly what happened at which occurrence, but I think the first time we were there, you guys were shooting, it was like a Derek and Chris scene in the vault. In the, yeah. Like the, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and um, the second time was like some stuff, I think, with like Malia getting like pulled out of the car or someone getting pulled out of the car. And I, I think can't it remember. Was, it, I think it was the finale of five Mm -hmm. because we weren't supposed to see part of the set and like I think it was Alyssa walking us around and Mm -hmm. she was like yep come this way and she was like just pretend you didn't see that and we're like okay that's fine our lips are sealed we're not going to say anything um I can't remember but it was good it was really cool one of the um one of we did a podcast um in the writer's room actually with Alyssa and Angela nice um and we so that was actually really cool like that we we actually sat down and we did an episode from the writer's room that was that was pretty insane actually um and that was definitely dealing with the Kira season because Angela was talking about the there was like a gaff with the um uh uh something about his there was like some continuity gaff that was like originally one idea for like the um yakuza villains um like finger thing and 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 yes um and and she was like talking about that and i think the name of the podcast episode is like tiny bullshit which apparently became like the code code name for that gaff but i I can't remember like we went there and we saw everyone and just got to walk around and say hi to people and you know I, I we really loved like you know that you guys have like the room and the and the set like on 
stage. Like the fact that yeah. you guys had that that setup is like so unusual, I think. Very rare. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't in a lot, like it wasn't in the Fox lot or it wasn't in like the Paramount lot. It was like, you just got yourself a warehouse, a warehouse. put yourself in the, in the room and then you just wandered in and out from the room to the set and the editing suites were there. And it, like the fact that it was all in-house just seems like really great, actually. Like it seems like it was a really good way to, to do it. Oh, it was awesome. Karen got to see Lyndon in his sheriff's uniform. Do you remember <laughs> that, Karen? Um... I, I don't know. I may have also, I think my coping mechanism is just like blacking <laughs> things out. Um, oh no. Uh, because I am a very huge fan of Mortal Kombat and Lyndon. Oh, she's a joke about it. Like it's, it's Lyndon's so presence stresses me out because I love him <laughs> so much. But I remember taking pictures like we were dead around the set. Yeah, in one of the, ho- nice. I think that was the second time, like in the, in the mm-hmm. hospital hallway. We we hung out with Barbara a bit, like a costume, and she was like talking about like she was showing us like how she like dragged some of like Styles' shirts under her car to like dress <laughs> them and stuff. Like just like just lots of really good times and and um yeah, I would say like what Karen said, Angela ended up sending us to think like um we all have a copy of the Beacon Hills um map like a proper like one of the heavyweight heavyweight um big like one meter across the map that they were using to like draw on and stuff and like um I think we saw one there framed and we were like oh my god like we love that and they ended up getting us copies like of them in that yeah like not like a poster like the proper like the prop quality ones and we were like that's awesome yeah it was just it was very generous and everyone seemed to be happy that we were there which was which was nice that's wonderful um i think yeah the one that we saw the one where the guys were filming in the vault um jen lynch was directing as well i think that episode and she was really cool yeah, she's great. Um, yeah, and yeah, it was it was just good, wasn't it, Karen? Any any other memories, or have you blacked it all out? Uh, I definitely blacked out some of it, but no, I remember just feeling very welcome and not feeling out of place. Like people were excited that we were there. It wasn't, and just, they knew oh, who we were. Yeah, that was the thing. We were really shocked that they were like, "Oh yeah." Because even Jeff, like, he's like, yeah, your your podcast or your website, he's it, it's the only thing I'm allowed to look at. Like, is it yes. like by other people yeah. who are, like, telling him not to look at the hate? And, like, we'd met Jeff at the convention and stuff, but even, like, when we met you guys at the convention, like, um, uh, Jeff and everyone else who came along, we were, like, shocked that people knew who we were That's quite awesome. badly. So, I don't know. It was interesting. That's so great. And yeah, just maybe a bit spoiled for like other shows in terms of like how they handle uh, fan press and stuff like that. <laughs> that's Team fine. Wolf sets the bar very high. Yeah, yeah I I've mean, been trying did. to recapture that magic for a very long time and have yet to do it. So yeah. we miss you guys. Who is your favorite character on Teen Wolf? How can you pick? It's so hard. My answer is not Matt. I know Natalie keeps wanting to make this joke. <laughs> Yeah, um, Karen is weird. Yeah, but she's weirdly into him. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't understand what it was exactly. Did you just think he, he was made hot? a reference to Greek mythology? That is literally oh. the start and end of it. Okay. And I fell in love. No, it's not Matt. I'm sorry. It's not Matt, but we did we did ride that joke all the way to the like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I my go-to answer for this is always styles because 
he's such a good character. He's great at comic relief. Like Dylan is obviously amazing. But that being said, Natalie and I have had long conversations about how incredible of a character Scott is and his arc throughout the series and where he ends up and how he matures and how he becomes the alpha of alphas. And I probably, I just, I can't choose. So somewhere between the two of them, I would die for both of them. Um, in terms of like major arc characters, mine is Derek and always will be, though I agree that the two lead boys are extraordinary. And I think while the show was airing, people didn't really appreciate what Scott was doing as much as maybe they do now. Like um, in terms of like that, that the actual level of arc and what Posey did as like number one on the call sheet, like it is his show and it, it is incredibly well done but for me it's always Derek and a character that's in slightly less of the show but that I feel very passionately about whenever they appear is Jackson I from day one was like oh no that's 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 a problem for me like not that I think he's hard <laughs> or anything like he is he's like Colton's beautiful but like I tend to get real dumb about like terrible bratty egotistical boys who are actually sad inside like I I tend to get very 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 emotional about them and I love Jackson and his um like yeah the season two arc with him and then we know when he comes back and I just I don't know I'm a sucker for like arrogant people who are actually really damaged and I love him but Derek is like I'm obsessed like and I'm obsessed, obsessed with his whole backstory I'm obsessed with his performed confidence and that he's actually like very very pathetic and you know I'm obsessed with like the lens the show puts on him like you know from you know if you're taking Scott's lens and looking at Derek and he's this like mature adult wolf and then Derek's actual circumstances like he's really struggling and yeah I, I love him and I think he had a great arc with a great closure that being said, I hope his arc's not closed enough that he won't be in the movie. Like, I'd really love to to see him again. But I loved his arc from, like, being a failed alpha to his true wolf form and just everything about, like, the Hale history, the, nat- you know, the natural werewolf family history is, yeah, I'm very into that. Both great. I mean, and season two is nothing but sad boy Jackson on the end. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. So. I love it. it is, I, I just love it. Um, obviously, the girls are all great. Like, I, I, I think Lydia is amazing. I think Malia is amazing. I think Kira is amazing. I think Chris Argent is amazing. Like, I love a lot of characters on the show. There's a lot of great ones. Malia, I think Shelly Henning is a genius. So Malia oh, yeah. as yeah. well is is. I, I genuinely think she's one of the gen- most genius actors I've seen in a long time. So yeah, she's a lot. She's wonderful. I was just going to say that I, I remember on one of the episodes I wrote uh, in season whatever, when they go meet Styles's grandfather. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember in between takes, Shelly coming up and sitting down next to me. And she's like, why don't I like old people? And we just <laughs> kind of like came up, we just hashed out like the reason why. Like why in her past, did she not like old people and is that why is that and why she is like so just kind of rude Derby to the grandfather and, yeah. like from the start and it was just so much fun because you know you don't yeah, always I, expect that I think from actors where they just kind of like oh they just I think the lines she's and stuff, so. really special and oh I yeah really hope, she's wonderful I really hope that she has a big part in the movie so I mean I don't I don't I'm not saying that to fish I just genuinely hope she does so yeah I think she's very special so her as well <laughs> wonderful 
So you guys had a bit of trouble choosing uh, your favorite characters, but what about favorite episode of Teen Wolf? So I actually thought about this for a while and I did come up with one that really sticks out in my mind and that's 317, which is Silverfinger for a lot of different reasons. We get to see young Chris Argent which is always cool. I love the flashback stuff. We get to see Isaac posing as the buyer and um, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa is in that, also from Mortal Kombat. Um, so that was very exciting. Allison being a badass and Styles being revealed as the Nagitsune, like all of that. I think it's a culmination of a lot of things coming together and it's seeing different elements of the past and the present and everybody getting a little bit of a highlight in that episode. It just, when I think about Teen Wolf, um, that's one of the ones that really just stands out for me. I'm just going to like name a couple that I really liked. I remember, uh, I really love the internment camp flashback episode, The Fox and the Wolf. That's my favorite episode. Is it? Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. Yeah, you're you're like number one Kira fan on the planet. Uh Uh-huh. And so that was a really good one. I mean, season three was really strong. I also remember being like blown away by um, 401, like the premiere of season four where they're in Mexico trying to get Derek back. But I have to say, there's later ones like Riders on the Storm in season five or six, I think, when they're kind of getting, um, you know, everything coming together at the end of that that story but I have to say like I'm gonna pull a one-two punch from season three which is the back-to-back episodes of Motel California and Currents so Motel California into Currents uh you know everything that happens in Motel California is just insane and I just remember just being like I don't remember seeing an episode of television like this before and then Currents with Derek and you know at the end when he kills Boyd and and that the apart you know the, the loft's all flooded and everything like that as like a one two back-to-back set is like very intense and it might not even be my favorite like if I re-watch the show again there might be an episode where it's just a really good episode like everything in it's really good and there are de- there's definitely stuff in the final season when Styles is missing or like you know when he's in the train station that I think is like some of the most interesting and creative stuff ever Part of my trouble is I can't remember the exact location of the exact event in every episode at the moment. But like, if you ask me to name an episode straight away, I would be like Motel California and Currents. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's very special. Uh, You know, I also shout out to the pilot. It's such a strong pilot compared to some pilots I've seen. Absolutely. It is. It's a great pilot. We hit the ground running. Yeah. with that pilot and it was amazing what about you guys do you guys like will if fox and the wolf is your favorite what about yeah. you guys i do really love motel california but devoid is uh yeah. one of my absolute favorite episodes I-, I think we can all agree like season three and then you get an a plot was like a very strong plot yes um, i think the final season's plot like i, I think the way the show had the entire arc the way the show handled like dylan not being available to shoot mm-hmm. And the way that they still made, like, Styles the heart of the story, I think is, like, one of the most impressive ways that a show has ever handled, like, an actor's absence ever. Like, because it was all about him and and the fact that he Mm -hmm. wasn't there. Like, it wasn't cheap in any way. And so, you know, I I think it has, I think the show has a lot of really tight arcs, so it's hard to pick out a single episode. A lot of good stuff to pull from. 
Yeah. I do remember seeing you guys at a Teen Wolf convention. What was your experience like going to conventions? Overwhelmingly very good. It was a bit weird, I think, at first because... We never thought we were anybody important. And I remember somebody coming up to me once and asking for my picture. And that just like blew my mind because I was like, why? I'm just a person. I don't understand this. And we were lucky enough to be asked to be part of some of the conventions and actually like host panels and stuff. I remember being very nervous, but very happy about that. And whenever we got to interact with any of the actors, they were always so kind to us and treated us really well and had conversations with us. And that was just like really, really exciting for me. But yeah, it was always a bit weird because I I never felt like I was, (laughs) I had imposter syndrome. I never felt like I was important enough to be there, but just happy somebody decided I was. Yeah, obviously I'm in Australia and I I went to a bit less like Karen, um, you know, she got to go to a couple more like local conventions. Yeah, like we, we, you know, we did a, 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 you know, one big one and, you know, Karen did like, she represented the podcast at, you know, some other conventions as well. I went to a few little ones in Australia that were like quite small, like just one day things. And, you know, they were kind of cool. And it was mainly just sitting in the audience. And then like, if if someone was available to do a little interview, like hanging out, like just doing a little interview. And that was cool. But we also covered, we also went to San Diego Comic Con several times as the podcast, like as in we had press specifically for the podcast, not just for Hyperball. And that was always really fun for me because I, I've done Comic Con every year with Hyperball since 2015. Wow. We started the show in 2012. So I missed 13. Karen was there for 14. And then I was there for 15 and 16 and... 17 is 17 the last year that you guys were there I can't remember yeah because Jeff announced that it was finishing and that was a ballroom 20 panel and then the following year you were still there and you were in Hall Hall H and that was really good for me like we always loved doing the the conventions uh the San Diego Comic Con we would just sit in the panel and cry and you know we did the pre you know we would do the press room with the cast like you know we would be you know just doing the round tables and interviews and stuff and you know meeting up with people like meeting up with Jeff or meeting up with Alyssa and Angela or whoever was there just to hang out and get a drink and I think at the final part of uh, final year we went to um, the party that they were having at M- uh, the Petco Park like they were kind of like MTV was like hosting an event and everyone was hanging out there and and that was kind of like yeah big like goodbye I guess like for us that that final time that they were there that Team Wolf was was at Comic Con so that was more my experience like actually going to the big like you know San Diego Comic Con as press for the podcast and I love that like it was mm-hmm. it was good uh, also I mean embarrassingly I always remember as well like the the panel that they were doing at the end and Jeff was like shouting us out from the stage in a oh, very God. embarrassing way <laughs> <laughs> um like and like we were like he was like where where are they and I was like oh my god like, I think we just yelled like, no really loudly <laughs> from the audience um and like saying things like that makes me feel like embarrassed or like I'm some sort of like thing but like it was a memory that happened and yeah it's uh you know it was nice to be included <laughs> that's just absolutely wonderful do y'all have a favorite supernatural creature from the show Holy kitsune 
I just really love that whole storyline and mythology and everything, but also the Banshee. I think what ended up happening with Lydia was so cool and interesting and kind of unexpected in the beginning. And I loved how important she became and what she could end up doing with like all of her powers and stuff. That is mythology that I think still has a lot of room to explore and I would, maybe that can be a spinoff show someday. I would watch it. Absolutely. I don't know if I have a favorite specific creature. My favorite thing is more actually just what I mentioned, which is the mythology element, having like some interesting grounding compared to other supernatural like paranormal shows I I was always quite interested in the way that Teen Wolf had these kind of interesting not scientific elements but like that they grew their own canon from like following tracks with a mythology that was interesting to me I really liked the Beast of Jevedon story like the Argent family history so I thought that was quite cool yeah. And I like the fact that they dealt with like World War II, like Nazi, occult Nazis. I'm always like into occult Nazis. I mean, I'm not always into them. I'm Jewish. Like, I'm not into them. But like, <laughs> whenever someone does occult Nazis, I'm like, yeah, because it was true. They were like yeah. really, like, it, it was true. There was a section of the, of the Nazi party that was like deeply believing of the occult and trying to channel weird occult powers. So I was really like, oh my God, you're doing that. So that was, that was cool as well. Yeah. What myth? do you wish Teen Wolf had explored? Hail backstory, like general backstory of um, natural werewolves and what, you know, how, you know, whether there was like traditions or cultures or practices or how it happened. Is it like, was everyone just bitten uh, in back in the day? Like, or, or is it like, how does a werewolf have another werewolf baby? Or is it to like, they're all born human and they take the bite voluntarily? Because in the fire, you know, one of the things that Derek said was like, you know, everyone in my family died and there were like innocent humans in the house. Not everyone was a werewolf. Basically like is werewolfism like Darwinism or Lamarckism? Like do you, you know, does getting bit mean that you are, is Scott going to have a werewolf child if he breeds? You know, if he, if he has a, if he has a, a son or a daughter. Yeah. The genetics of, of the werewolves basically is the thing that I always was stuck on. And not just the genetics, but also like the culture of people who had lived as werewolves for generations and generations. You know, Talia, Hale and everything going back from there and their partnerships with the um sort of druid guides and everything like that is nice. is what's interesting to me but yeah kind of I'm kind of still stuck on the genetics of like Derek's family having humans that weren't werewolves in it and how that worked and again like if it's like if you're born into a werewolf family you get given the bite at a certain age or if you're actually just born that way very cool we That's require cool. like in Punnett squares Jeff Davis my answer is obviously greek mythology i wish the show had done sirens or medusas yeah like i think that greek mythology is also very dark and there are a lot of ways to interpret a lot of those stories i think you could come up with some really cool creatures that way oh yeah definitely Mm. so will you guys be putting out new episodes of not another team wolf podcast when more information about the film comes out absolutely yeah I would say so I don't like I have no idea when more information about the film is going to come out like if we would you know do something immediately every time I'm sure that we'll do one you know when casting is announced and all of that kind of stuff I'm sure that we'll record as well when they start 
filming like if there's anything that comes out of actual filming and stuff and you know we saw the pictures Jeff posted from like going and doing a walkthrough of the stages which I'm like so impressed that you guys kept the stages like kept the sets well y'all mentioned having a new website can you tell us about that yes so uh the short version of this is that Unfortunately, our previous website, Hypable, closed after 10 years. And Natalie and I particularly didn't want to stop writing, but also kind of didn't want to write for a different website because the culture that Hypable had created was obviously very good to us and very unique in terms of letting fans do what they wanted and write about things the way they wanted to write about it. And Natalie and I were both very lucky when it came to that. And so I wanted to keep reviewing books because I've been having a lot of fun doing that lately. And I was like, I don't know, I might start a blog or something. And Natalie's like, well, I also want to keep writing. So we kind of decided to just make our own website. And that was a decision that turned out to be very stressful, but also very wonderful at the same time. I think that, you know, it was a lot like the Teen Wolf podcast. We were just like, should we do this? Yeah. Okay. Now let's figure out how to actually get it done. <sighs> it was harder than that though. It was. I'm, I'm leaving out a yeah. So obviously, you know, we we were never any kind of, you know, Karen was a senior editor on Hyperball, but she was not like one of the co-owners or anyone who did any of the back like backstage like site development or anything like that and where you know it wasn't in our control that they that they decided to to stop and we were really in bad shape like we really honestly didn't take it well and ultimately and like you can you can kind of hear us talk about this more on an episode of uh, one of our other podcasts, which is called Not About the Weather, which is a show that we made when we found out that Teen Wolf was ending to be like, oh my God, we've got this podcast account that's got so many followers and we're just going to stop. So we decided to make the podcast a little brother with the same initials and just like tweet out our personal segue kind of like thing rather than about the topic of Teen Wolf. And, and you know, it obviously is not as big as Teen Wolf, but it has its own little little thing. It's our place to kind of play. And we did an episode about that. And it was, you know, sporadically recorded. And well, we specifically speak for like an hour and a half about this this issue of hyperball closing. But after we launched Subjectify, like it was not like spilling tea from, from the hyperball owners. We kind of say, this is what's happened and this is what we've done about it. And we ended up kind of being like, well, we want to do this, like, because we've got the podcasts and we wanna we wanna save like the podcasts, like the archives as well. Not about the weather was a private like thing that I I kind of hosted myself, or, like you know, did the hosting of, but not another Teen Wolf podcast was hosted by Hyperball and so was another show with that we are all on called Rewatchable. So Andrew gave us permission or like access to pull the archives of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast and Rewatchable. And then we had Not About the Weather and Karen wanted to make a new show, um, Prophecy Radio, which is about Percy Jackson. Very cool. And we were like, well, we need somewhere to put all these podcasts. And I was like, because my first thing was like, I, I at least want to keep the podcasts. And Karen was like, I want to have a book blog. And I'm like, we should probably just put all of these things on the same page and have like a hub website that is like just our stuff. 
you know, we're already paying for hosting for the Not Another Teen Wolf podcast website, like outside of Hyperball, like there's just like a blog. Like what if we just shut all of those hostings down and put it all in one page? And then we talked to a few other Hyperball writers and we were like, are you upset about this? What's your plan? And they were all like, we're so upset. (laughs) And basically a bunch of us who are very good friends, especially from doing the podcast together, Rewatchable in particular, it's not just me and Karen, it's like eight people and we're all very close. And they all basically decided to, come and and keep podcasting or writing occasional articles with us on this new website that we founded it's called subjectify subjectify media and you know not to make this mushy or anything but it kind of is really because of teen wolf like the reason why natalie and i are still together 10 years later doing this website is directly a product of what teen wolf has given us so that's pretty awesome We had a fantastic time talking with Karen and Natalie, but now it's back to spoilers. Okay, so Deaton was an advisor to the Hale Pack and promised Talia that he would watch out for Derek. Footage not found. Yeah. We've already talked about this at length, but I feel like it was a huge mistake to say that Deaton was the emissary to the Hale Pack, and in particular that he made a promise to Talia to watch after Derek. And I would assume Laura as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. double fail. I, I don't really love the emissary to the hail pack thing. I think it would have worked much better, like we said before, for him to have been an emissary for a different pack and to have interacted with Talia in that context. So he knew her and he understood the significance of the hails in Beacon Hills. But like it wasn't a close relationship. So that way you you're still building on the whole emissary mythology and building on the background of Deaton's character without making it just super implausible. Yeah, because of yeah, I because I just feel like and especially to go out of his way to say that he made a promise to Talia. That's just way too far because we've just watched almost two seasons at this point of him having never done anything to help Derek. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely an instance where you've got a character saying something and then you have to be able to look back on the rest of the series and be like, that tracks. Yeah. And if you, and if you do that and it doesn't track, you should, probably shouldn't do that thing. Right, because I feel like I would have been okay with it if Deaton had done something to help Derek before the events of Heart Monitor and that because Derek beat him up, he was like, you know what, f- this then. I would have been totally okay with that. That would have been completely fine. You'd be like, yeah, Deaton, you're well within your rights there to be like, this kid. But that's not what happened because he did absolutely nothing helpful for Derek prior to that in the first six episodes. And again, we never got an explanation for why he felt the need to lie to Derek. Yeah. And that isn't just extra disclaimer. That isn't to give Derek a pass on doing that. I just mean from a storytelling perspective, I sincerely don't know what the reason was because there was never any further discussion of it. And it just felt very much like this guy's first name is Red and his last name is Herring. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of thing. Yep. So. You are correct, madam. Okay. So Steric fans pointed something out about the exchange between Derek and Deaton at the old Hale house. I say Steric fans despite being one of them, because I read this theory and I didn't come up with it myself. But the exchange in the episode goes like this. Derek says, I don't trust anyone. Deaton says, I know. If you did, you might be the alpha you like to think you are. And unfortunately, the one person you should trust doesn't trust you at all. Then Derek says, Scott. And then Deaton says, he's with Stalinsky right now. You need to find him. You need to find him as fast as you can. 
So Deaton never actually says he's referring to Scott. He says the one person Derek should trust doesn't trust him. And then he says he's with Stalinsky right now. Stalinsky yeah. referring to Styles' dad, not to Styles himself. Yeah. So technically speaking, Deaton could still be talking about Styles, and Derek's the one just making the assumption that Deaton means Scott. Because basically fans thought that the choice of wording there was weird. Yeah. That instead of being like, yes, obviously Scott, or like the one should trust Scott, or you know, like any, anything like that. Instead, he just kind of continues on with ever without ever actually confirming that Derek has made the correct assumption there. So Steric fans were super excited to read way too much into that exchange. Obviously, I'm a hardcore Steric shipper. I do just feel like that's Deaton being Deaton. Like Deaton never wants to give a clear answer about anything. Yeah. Even when it's completely obvious. I feel like if Scott asked him, what am I? He'd be like, what do you think you are? Do you feel like it's connected to the moon? Yeah. Look within yeah. yourself, Scott. And be yeah. like, no, just say he's a werewolf. I feel like he just never wants to give an answer. Yeah. Because yeah. if in that moment he's like, the person you need to trust most doesn't trust you at all. And Derek could be like, do you mean Scott? And Deaton would be like, do I? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah. You know, and then I feel like Derek should be like, ah. I feel like like Steric fans obviously want to make it about Steric. That's confirmation bias. But then I feel like fans in general, a lot of times want to find explanations for things Mm -hmm. uh, in the writing. And it makes sense. Like I try to do that too. I'm constantly trying to like build head cannons that will bridge the gap between like what is textually established and what makes more sense. So I think it's kind of a combination of those two phenomena where it's like, yes, this is what I want it to mean. But it's also like, that was a really weird way for this conversation to play out. Let me come up with a reason why that would be that that makes it more interesting rather than arbitrarily mysterious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what school prepped us for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly. As like, an English major, it's like, yeah. this is what I know how to do. You're so. meant to read between the lines. Yeah. Exactly. Let's break yeah. down hills like white elephants where they never actually say what they're talking about. Of the Venn diagram of like people with English degrees and queer people in the center there, you have Steric fans ardently doing close readings of the text at our disposal. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. If Gerard's plan is to get the bite from Derek, which is how I remember that being explained in Master Plan, why does he encourage Allison to kill Derek in Fury? Maybe he thinks that she'd go after the betas first because they're less powerful and that could, you know, whittle down Derek's defenses. I could see that, except Gerard doesn't ever suggest that she do that. So why would he assume or hope that that would be her idea? I don't know that. Well, you have to remember that he's Kate's father and he's also just an agent of chaos. So he's like, I kind of just want to see what happens. (laughs) I have a thing that I want, but also... He just can't help himself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. My question about the scene is, do you guys think that Victoria really wrote this letter? Absolutely not. Is it ever addressed, though? Mm -mm. It's not addressed. I don't know. I've kind of gone back and forth on this. Like, on one hand, I I wouldn't find it unbelievable on Gerard's part that he would forge a letter just to accomplish his plan. But then on the other hand, I am kind of like, I could see Victoria doing this. It does feel like a Victoria move too, which is like, she loves Allison, but she is also kind of controlling. She does have a very clear stance on werewolves and Mm -hmm. what should be done to them. 
So I kind of wonder whether the answer is kind of both, like that Gerard may be kind of put a bug in her ear that was like, yes, Chris promised that he would explain to Allison the real reasons behind your suicide so that she wouldn't think it was whatever they put into the note that was given to the cops. But it's probably best if she gets it from you. And since Victoria was having a hard time actually having that conversation with Allison prior to that full moon, yeah, a letter made sense. And maybe, you know, he could have said, I can ensure that the letter is destroyed after she reads it. I'm sure I'm 100% sure that she never told Gerard to read it. That I'm 100% sure of. Yeah. But I'm not 100% sure that Victoria wasn't involved in it just because I, it does feel like a Victoria move too. So mm. I could just see it kind of the answer being like, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Like there was some manipulation involved, but also Victoria was also kind of a manipulator especially of Allison. Yeah. So I, I thought about that too. And I, I could see it going different ways. Yeah, same. I kind of go back and forth. Ultimately, I do feel like she probably did write the letter. But yeah, I could see her also being influenced by like putting to tell her truth based off Jard's encouragement. But I could see her basically blaming Derek, wanting to explain to Allison and also wanting Allison basically to get revenge for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you owe me this. You need to go kill Derek for me since I can't do it. Yeah. And I feel like that's something she wouldn't want Chris to know about because, yeah, Chris is obviously a hunter and very dedicated to the code and everything. I feel like Victoria, as we saw, wasn't particularly interested in the code, like the yeah. rest of the Argents. And I feel like she knew she could control him and she thought he might be too wishy-washy without her. So she's just like, I'm going to skip ahead to Allison be like, Allison, you do this because yeah, I can't right. trust your father to do it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, that was actually what I was going to bring up is that it's really interesting to me that we never get a sense that Chris is interested in revenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think at all Chris, it, ne it never right. feels that way, which is kind of yeah. interesting when you stop to think about it. Because think about him in season one when he's threatening Derek for no reason other than that Derek is a werewolf. Like at that point in the story, Derek had not done anything at all to get on Chris's radar besides being born yeah. and existing. Mm -hmm. And yet when Derek bites Victoria, Chris's wife, and he is forced by various external factors to participate in her suicide as a result, we never get any indication from Chris that he feels that way about Derek. And I just find that mm -hmm. really interesting. I think Chris realized that those bites were defensive wounds. That it wasn't like the oh, normal, because wow. it's two, it's multiple bites. Like, I mean, like from a, mm -hmm. a scuffle, you know, it's mm -hmm. not like, because all the other bites we've ever seen, and I'm sure the bites they've seen where it's like, well, if someone wants to bite someone to turn them, it's always it's, on the it's hip. A, it, it's on the hip, you know, and, <laughs> but it's always one bite. It's a clean yeah. bite. And that one was like a messy, something was going on. And I think Chris understood that if that, if that was the way the bites happened, Something was happening between Derek and Victoria, probably a fight. And then, mm -hmm. and then he's like, I think he just was able to extrapolate to be like, Victoria started some shit. That's like, an interesting that's theory. That's the only way this could have worked. 
Because if, mm-hmm. if if Derek came upon her, she'd be just be dead. Or it'd be the thing if he was like, I'm just gonna do this to fuck with him. You know, it would have been so much cleaner. Like this wouldn't have been the way it was. And I think Chris sussed out that she was up to some shit and that's what happened. And so yeah. I yeah. She might have just outright told him. We don't actually Very get a true. scene of her telling, like, talking at all about what happened. She could have just been like, you know, Allison's still banging Scott. I warned her. So I went, I was going to kill him. And then Derek interfered, that bitch. Oh, wow. If she came clean with him, that might be even more reason why he didn't do it. Where he was just like, she was trying to murder a kid. And yeah. then it backfired. And yeah. so he's like, yeah, this sucks that this happened. But I mean, it tried to murder somebody yeah oh my gosh I never thought about that Calissa that's a really interesting theory yeah it's a good one I think she would no matter what see herself as the victim but I feel like she would have felt like I was a mother doing the right thing yeah right and I feel like she ultimately would think Chris she didn't trust Chris to do it himself but But that he should understand the law yes so I feel like she wouldn't have lied I feel like she would have just told him straight up what happened and yeah he would have been like I'm not going to go get revenge because I mean obviously we see him threatening Scott but I feel like that was always he was always just going to threaten Scott unless Scott killed someone yeah his plan was always just I'm going to just keep threatening him as many times as it takes and warning him I'm gonna kill him but I'm not gonna do it unless right unless he crosses the line right because I mean I think ultimately he was worried about Allison but unless he saw anything to indicate that she was actually in danger with Scott I don't think he would have done anything actually violent towards yeah. Scott. He was right. just there to be like trying to keep them away as best he could. Right. But he never had any intention of killing Scott unless it, it was completely necessary. And so I th- feel like he was just, he wouldn't have gone after Derek knowing that Derek was just doing it to protect Scott. And yeah. it was right. mostly, I mean, it was just unprovoked on their part. Like they didn't, they weren't doing anything. She right. just yeah. came along to kill Scott. Right. Especially Derek, because- like they did threaten Scott's life if he, including Chris, did threaten Scott's yeah. life if he continued to see Allison. I think you're right that Chris didn't intend actually to kill Scott unless Scott physically hurt Allison or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Derek just, again, stopped her from murdering a kid. That that was all that Derek did. But that, that actually makes perfect sense because yeah, Victoria would stand by her actions and be like, yeah. here's what happened. I was, as any mother would do, trying to murder Allison's boyfriend <laughs> when this mother came up yeah. and stopped me from doing that perfectly rational thing. And he bit me twice while I was trying to stab him in the eyeballs. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. He's a horrible person. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like she wouldn't have lied about that. Yeah. I don't feel like makes perfect actually sense. see like a lot of lying between her and Chris when it comes to stuff like that. I feel like there was like things they didn't tell each other fully until like afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't feel like she would have lied to him about it. Yeah. You're right. That that actually does make perfect sense. And it also makes sense to me that especially as we saw Chris wanting to hide the truth from Allison for as long as possible, that he would also be the sort of father who would not tell Allison that because it would break her heart. Yeah. Right. And I have trouble with Scott never telling her through the events of the end of the season and on because it's different. But I I do understand for Chris as a father, really wanting to avoid telling her that. Absolutely. I would like to have seen that turmoil within him because like they don't tell him what victoria was up to but 
Allison goes down a path based on information she has and starts getting stabby stabby with a lot of people. And I wish there could have been Chris uh, being in turmoil about that. Where he's like, I don't want to tell her why her mom killed herself but also she's trying to murder people based on incorrect information so i i would like to at least least incomplete or incomplete information and i wish we could have had a little bit of that where he at least at least one scene where he argues with gerard that's like she's trying to kill people and she doesn't she believes it's for one reason when it's actually for the opposite reason type of thing and then gerard's like oh gerard talking Yeah, and 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 it could have been very quick. I understand that Teen Wolf had to be very economical with their time, but it even could have been like in the the scene in Fury where they're discussing the strategy. I could see there being a moment when Allison is saying, I want Derek dead, where he says, Allison, it could be more complicated than you think. And then it could like cut to Gerard and he's giving Chris like a warning look, like, don't you say it. Yeah. And then Chris just like is looking at Allison's face and she's like angry, but has tears in her eyes and he can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That would have been absolutely fascinating. And all three of them are great actors and oh, yeah. could have, you know, could have communicated so much of the, the dynamics between them in that moment. Yeah. Just with mm-hmm. the looks on their faces and really not needed to take much time away yeah. from the action of the yeah. episode. Just a couple lines, I think, would have done it. Because then you you get over the hurdle of why isn't a character telling another character important information? It's like, well, they tried and failed. And we all know what it's like to try and fail something. We don't really want to try right. again. You know, right. so it's like that at least gets you out of that hole where it's like, all he has to do is tell her. It's like, he tried and failed. Now we can move on. I get it because of, he's still dealing with his own emotional trauma over right. losing his wife and, and all this and not wanting to really upset Allison by this, by giving her the actual information. So it's like, then you've washed your hands of that whole thing. It's like, now we can move forward and have everyone operate under the wrong information because Mm -hmm. they did their due diligence. Right. And then, and I mean, when, when Chris can't get the rest of it out, it could cut back to Gerard and he has this look of like almost smug satisfaction because he, he played all the eventualities in his head and he knows his son and he knew he wouldn't be able to do it. And he actually banked like bet on that sequence of events just knew in his cold dead heart that Chris would not be able to say it to Allison and and that his plan would be able to continue uninterrupted yeah would have been good I completely agree with everything you guys have said and I understand why Chris didn't want to tell her I still don't understand why Scott wouldn't tell the truth yeah. I mean, he wouldn't even tell the truth about Gerard, and he knew that she didn't have like any emotional attachments to Gerard. Yeah, no, that was weird. It's not a good look for Scott, but also for the writers a little bit because it's there's just no reason for him not to do it. I, I feel, or there's no reason after the end of this season, you know. But I get mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment and everything, and I feel like he and Chris are feeling a lot of the same things. That it's like you care about this person, and by giving them this information, you're gonna devastate them. Mm-hmm. You know, so that I get, but it's just again, this is sadly another example of there's information that characters need to have for character growth, and also to understand that they made decisions based on incomplete information that led to almost murders Mm -hmm. that still needs to be addressed, which never gets addressed, unfortunately. And it's just something that happens in stories sometimes, and there's really no excuse for it. And I think it especially shows when we get to Master Plan and Allison's like stabbing the betas and everything, because frankly, we know that Scott doesn't really care about Derek and what happens to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like not 
entirely a surprise that he would be like, honestly, I'd rather she kill Derek and never have to know this. I know that that's like maybe a really negative perception of Scott, but I feel like that his view of Derek is pretty well established in canon. And it's established in that episode because of how he treats Derek. Yeah. But I do think though, that when she starts stabbing their classmates in the back, that might've been a moment where he was like, I might just have to tell her. Yeah, because we know he cares about the baby. Well, we know he cares about Isaac. Isaac. He cares about Isaac. And through extrapolation, I believe he cares about all the babies. So when that starts happening, you're right. He should have some misgivings. It feels like he would have just blurted out like, Victoria tried to kill me and that's why this happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it just they're protecting happen. Derek because he's their alpha, but also because I'm sure Derek told them what happened. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. because he he would make it clear that he didn't just like go bite Victoria and put them all in danger for no reason. Yeah, you know, right. So yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily know if the betas know everything because it feels like someone would have blurted out this information but on the other hand the betas might think that she knows yeah and, she and doesn't chooses care to that's true but that's scott true. knows for certain that she doesn't know because the only people who were present were scott victoria and and derek yeah derek would have no opportunity to tell allison victoria's dead and then there's scott and he's chosen not to tell her yeah Mm-hmm. one of these few failings in the writing i feel like on the show where it's like you gotta you set something up like characters have experienced something and they need to deal with it right yeah i i'm not even mad i'm okay with scott making the decision not to tell her at this point in the story if they were to deal with it later yeah because the entire point mm-hmm. of putting your characters through things and having them make decisions that they should not have made is to make them accountable for them and reckon with the consequences of those things. Yeah. Because that's the entire point of a serialized story is dealing with consequences. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, that's like, it makes me really frustrated with Scott because he doesn't learn from it. There's no consequences for him. Exactly. And we don't even get like really like any insight as to why he was choosing to withhold information. Yeah. So I feel like that just like, yeah, it's a writing issue, but like the result as a fan is just being like, I'm really frustrated with you, Scott, because I don't understand why you're doing this thing. Right. And it's just a poor decision. Yeah. On the subject of people like finding things out, how does the sheriff not find out about werewolves in this episode? He sees Scott get shot in the gut. He Or this season. He doesn't find out till like next season. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's like, right. well, he saw Scott get shot in the gut. It, 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 and it's just like, it wasn't a flesh wound. It's like, you should have some follow up questions when you see Scott just like walking around with his backpack. Mm-hmm. It's like, how did, what? Huh? What? And unfortunately, that doesn't happen either. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that until we were rewatching it. And you said that, Calissa. And, you know, there's like the whole, obviously, the big moment of Melissa finding out. And it, that doesn't necessarily mean that the sheriff should have been like, I got it, werewolves. Obviously not. But there are no moments between now and the actual time that he finds out where he's like, didn't you get shot right in your vital organs? Yeah. Like right. yesterday? <laughs> like, we, yeah. we should have to see like Scott, like pretending to still be super injured anytime he's like around, like he's still recovering. Right. Yeah. Whenever he's around Sheriff, because yeah, people don't just pop back from being like shot, like point blank range in the gut. Right. Nope. But just like, even teenagers are just like, okay, well, that was tough, but like, you know, I'm yeah. moving on. 
Yeah, yeah, they should have had to do like a whole elaborate thing where, you know, Melissa was like, luckily it missed the vital organs. So obviously he's staying out of school, but he doesn't have to be in the hospital. Like he's at home with me. Right. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Something like that, that is maybe a little bit of a buy, but also Stalinsky doesn't have enough information to be like, I know yeah. that you're lying for a hundred percent certainty which yeah. is how it should be if you see someone get shot point blank in the gut and then immediately be fine yeah i'm actually really interested to see like if anything's addressed next episode because i honestly don't remember me either same and we haven't watched it yet but like yeah there's also the canima did like a hell of a number on a lot of those deputies they're all dead but i mean like well yeah they would have been like mangled like animalistic wounds yeah because the claws yeah. don't look the same as just like a knife wound no yeah it's like they're slashed up so they're claw I, marks for sure i honestly don't remember any of that either so. i don't think it's ever actually addressed but i would love like it to have been addressed because it's like a 17 year old boy with a gun couldn't do that yeah right. the mountain lion's back <laughs> he's trained the mountain lion <laughs> oh no it's even worse we than have we a thought. full jurassic world situation here <laughs> yeah i will say on the subject of matt i feel like to me yes he has his nice guyness and stalking stalking of Allison is really gross, but I feel like he is the most sympathetic villain that we get throughout the course of the show. Yeah. Unless you consider Derek to be a villain, which it seems like I don't. Jeff certainly did. <laughs> I don't. So he, I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying I he said that in our interview. He used right. the word villain. I'm not yeah. just like putting no, words I, in his mouth. I understand. I just I personally don't consider Derek a villain. So as saying that, I don't. Yeah. I'm not including Derek because obviously Derek's the most sympathetic character of all time. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely don't feel the keys of villain. So I just feel like of everyone, Matt is the most sympathetic because he is a teenager. He did endure a lot of trauma, and like the adults in his life let him down. And also, he doesn't get to come back from the dead. Right. Yeah. And he has a very brutal death. It's yeah. Like his biggest fear. Mm -hmm. It's rough. It's sad. It's it sad, sad watching him get drowned by Gerard. I yeah. I mean, I even as much as I didn't like his character as a person, I still felt sad watching him get drowned because it was just an awful way to go. Yeah. And yeah, he used Jackson, but I mean, it was Jackson. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like whenever like Jennifer uses like Derek and stuff and like. Like, you know, because I feel like that's just so like horrifying. Whereas yeah. like Jackson. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> and someone was, it seems like it was likely that someone was always like the Canama seeks a master. Someone was always going to be that person who used the Canama. Yeah. Right. The problem there was that he also made Jackson kill innocent people. Yeah. He did. Yes. And I'm not like, I'm not trying to give him like a pass. He is definitely still a villain. I just, I feel like of all the villains we see throughout the course of the show, he has the most sympathy from me. Yeah. Like, obviously, like, I feel bad about what happened for Peter, but then Peter killed Laura. Yeah. Right. It feels like his motivation is in the cool most blood. relatable mm -hmm. in a way, or the most sympathetic leading, because you're like, something horrible happened to you. And you weren't able to process it because you're a child yeah. and mm -hmm. all the... Like you said, Calissa, all the adults in your life failed to help you process it yeah. properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But a, a lot of Teen Wolf is about how we try to process trauma. I feel yeah. like, you know, we, we see it with 
many different characters. So this episode kind of has the culmination of the water imagery. And I was thinking about that and it occurred to me that, you know, season one was fire. Season two is water. If you'll allow an extremely nerdy aside, the first three seasons of Teen Wolf are kind of the four classical elements, fire, water, earth, that would be 3A, and then air would be 3B. And when I first had that thought, I was like, wait, that trope kind of breaks with 3B because is there really an air element to it? It is a little bit more of a stretch, but 3B centers on spirits, the kitsune and the nogitsune. And spirit is air shows up all through classical texts in classical languages like Latin, Greek, and Aramaic. There was a lot of overlap between the vocabulary for spirit and the vocabulary for wind or breath. And etymologically, that's where we get the word respiration and the concept of the death rattle or dying breath, because the idea was that you breathed out your spirit as it left your body. That's why expire means both breathe out and die. And that's also appropriate to 3B because Scott, Stiles, and Allison are dealing with the aftermath of their temporary deaths. So for 3B, it's a little more metaphorical than the elemental themes of season one through 3A. And it doesn't really show up in the season visually, except maybe with the fireflies. So that one's more of a slant rhyme of my analysis. <laughs> but that's what I was thinking about after this episode with the climax of the water imagery when Matt is drowned. Very cool. I like it, you big old nerd. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 11, Battlefield. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews, get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.